Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Yeah, getting through that week. <laughs> Holding on to your mental health, hanging in there. Oof, I know. Interesting times. It feels like weekly it's something new. Yeah, got to find the joint. it. Letting go a little bit. Question of the night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG page, so weigh in on that. And uh, we're going to be diving into those DMs later in the show. But of course, we've got a great show planned. We're going to be talking about all sorts of stuff, using pronouns, um, some of the some of the things you got to consider around veterans, and um, also ways to really focus more on your mental health. And, and what are the best ways to take, truly take, a mental health day? Because it's not a mental health day if you're just like, yeah, I'm staying home. It really doesn't matter what you do during that time. So we're going to talk about that. Um, wanted to open the show, though, acknowledging, look, the holidays are coming up. We're going to be talking a lot about it because I don't want people panicking because, again, we're going to be spending it maybe alone for the first time or not exactly in the way we want to with all the, ones, all the loved ones around us as it, as it traditionally might be. But the reminder has been and will be that it, it isn't it isn't canceled. It's just different this year. And that's okay. It being different this year allows there to be some new benefits and, and levels of beauty added to it. There's a lot of really stunning things you can do to make the holidays just as special. And again, we're going to keep talking about it, but I, I keep saying this to my patients because I'm already getting them prepared. The ones that are really feeling it because they're isolated and they're saying, wow, I'm really going to miss seeing my family. And I'm saying, still dress up still play that music, still decorate your home. You know what I mean? We want to mimic it and let us have that time just because we're on our own doesn't mean it doesn't count. But what about when we have kids? Because the holidays tend to be harder on them. You know, they, they don't have the patience to hang in there till next year or next time. And the holidays are, you know, what, what punctuate the year and make it very exciting for them. I felt very bad that some people thought Halloween was canceled. Of course it wasn't. It was just different. And you could still dress up and, like I said, play the music and watch the movies and eat the foods. And that's still very meaningful. But what about when you have the kids? Well, the adults have to set the tone and let them know it's different and use words like that. It's different. You know what I mean? Because you're both normalizing on a larger scale that difference is okay, right? And that we can get creative, but you're also giving them the narrative that it's not bad, right? So the question should be, what can we do? What can we still do that can make this year special? And that's what you can say to them. Mom and dad or mom and mom or dad and dad or, or solo parent or whatever it is, we're going to still make it special. Let's talk about how we can do that because we can actually maybe be more immersive in some ways. Maybe we won't be as distracted because we don't have to worry about, you know, feeding or setting the table for eight, 12, 15 or 20 people. It's now just 
the two of us, the three of us, or just you. And that allows you to maybe make something more complex or to eat exactly what you wanted to eat or whatever it is. You don't have to accommodate other people. So there's something meaningful in that, right? So even though a child might be upset and say, it's not fair, I want to see grandma or I want to see my friends or I'm sad that, you know, the school holiday party isn't happening this year. Talk about what you can still do, right? Because not everything is off limits, just some things. And again, we want to really lean heavily into the things that we still get to participate in. But as the adult, you have to have really internalized that shift and, and make that meaningful to you as well. Um, also, let your kids feel their feelings. It's never about saying, don't feel sad or don't feel bad. It's the opposite, right? Mental health is feeling all your feelings deeply. It's about saying, yeah, it stinks. Let's be sad. And also, at the same time, be sad, but we're going to be doing it different this year. What can we still do, right? That was the first point. But let your kids feel their feelings. It's not about saying, let it go, get over it. You know, we don't want to shame any expression, right? Um, because again, everything feeds into everything and everything, everything gets to be a mental health moment. Um, and in fact, remember this, this change in a holiday can allow things that we couldn't have maybe traditionally done. Also give them like a special job. Let them really participate in the planning and the setting up, right? Let it be a chance for them to maybe do something again that they weren't able to do before. Maybe this time they get to choose part of the menu because it doesn't matter as much. You don't have to be as traditional in the menu planning or it's a, it's okay if they try to help cook or prepare something. It's not done the way you would want it because it's just the family or it's just us this time, right? Um, and also finally, just again, celebrating the fact that you get to celebrate still, that not everyone is going to have the ability at all maybe to celebrate the holidays due to finances and other factors or COVID implications. And so if you're in a situation where you're still able to do something, find really meaning and value in that, a little bit of gratitude, because a lot of individuals are going to maybe actually have to be skipping it this year, again, because of health concern, finances, employment, or even mental health issues. Some people are just going to be a little too anxious or depressed and aren't really up for planning anything. And that, I want to remember, remind you, that's okay too. It's okay to skip this year. It is okay to maybe push it back a day or two, right? These holidays are arbitrary. They don't have to occur at all or even on those days or even in those ways. Maybe it's part of the day as opposed to the total day or the weekend, right? Again, we're being fluid. We're being creative. We're, we're letting our needs come before this preset holiday, right? So again, be where you are. But uh, we'll be talking more about this because I think it's really, really important. Uh, question of the night is up on the Love on AG page and the story. So weigh in on that. If you have a DM, as always, drop them in the DMs on our Love Line IG page. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. Question of the night, as always, up on our Love Line IG page weigh in on that. And uh, coming up next, we're going to be talking about pronouns, how to use them, what they mean, uh, DMs. Let's talk though right now about heterocentricity and heteronormativity. Now, what that means is it doesn't have anything to do with straight people, actually. It has to do with the systems, the ideals, the expectations um, that come with someone who's heterosexual defined. Being heterosexual, meaning interested in the opposite gender, does not mean that one has to live, date, or have sex in a heteronormative or heterocentric way. In fact, authenticity and truth live outside of those norms and expectations because to live or define themselves as a hetero, many people feel that that means they have to follow through with all the archetypes, caricatures, um, stereotypes. But again, mental health 
is about sitting outside of those norms. Mental health is actually always about breaking outside of norms. Trauma is the reason always why people aren't able to live authentically exactly as they are. So when someone's worrying about aging and is using anti-aging products, that's a result of cultural trauma that says you're not allowed to age, that aging is shameful, that aging is bad, that you lose desirability. A lot of the norms around gym culture and the idea that you have to, as a man, occupy more space and have muscles and a small waist and a big penis. And as a woman that you have to have, you know, a small waist and big breasts and no stretch marks. All of that is also a part of heteronormativity and heterocentricity. And as you're kind of learning and hearing in that, it's very much about pushing back on all these expectations, right? And again, it has nothing to do with being gay or straight because people that are gay identified, meaning sexually, they're interested in the same gender, they often follow rules and expectations too. And we call that homonormativity. And funny enough, homonormativity looks exactly like hetero normativity, meaning gay people follow along with the ideals and expectations of the heterosexual world. And then that's where the word queer comes in because queer is not about being gay or straight. Queer is actually about living non-normatively. Queer is actually about pushing back on all those expectations and norms. Queerness is about liberation and truth and authenticity and not following projected expected paths. So what does that mean? It means a whole lot of things. Because traditionally, a lot of heterosexual expectations and norms are very sexist. It can be misogynist. They very much often, very much can support and align with what we call the foundation of rape culture. And rape culture is very much built on this idea that um, women are passive and submissive and men own and dominate. And so just moving towards more uh, mental health, moving towards more of an egalitarian culture, trying to battle sexism and misogyny is really about removing these male expectations and female expectations that aren't even real. So for instance, think about this. A lot of times the heterosexual script is very much rooted in conformity. This ideal that if you're a man, you act a certain way and look a certain way. If you're female, you act in a certain way and look a certain way. And that you're supposed to especially if you're female identified at all costs, make sure you find a man and a family. And if you don't have a family and don't have a child, then your life isn't full of meaning and you're not successful and you're supposed to get married and be monogamous and, ha and have a home. And it, it's so, it's so pre-planned and it's just not honest. And it applies so much pressure for people that aren't able to, or don't want to live up to those ex expectations. And that's where this idea of queerness really can free you because queerness is rooted from people that said, listen, the beautiful, healthy part about not being heterosexual is that we get to kind of choose our own path and our own way of being. There's no necessary uh, paths, expectations, or goals. And there's something very, very, very liberated in that. Now, what's interesting is also when we look at um, the mental health of heterosexuality versus um, homosexuality, we know that lesbians have more orgasms than straight women. And that's very much rooted in the idea that for heterosexual sex, men think it ends when they orgasm. And they think that that's it. And they don't necessarily worry or focus on the female partner. We also know that gay relationships have more equal distribution with household labor, which is the number one complaint of heterosexual females in my office is that men think they have to do bare minimum and that that's enough. And that if they do one or two things that they should get on a pat on the back. Also, we know that gay couples have higher earnings, that they have better adjusted children in terms of empathy, communication, communication skills, and relational health. And that... 
Gay couples report higher relational happiness. And the higher relational happiness is because it's equality-based. There's no, there's no pre-set expectations on someone and everyone really truly chips in. And there's something really powerful and beautiful in that. And so when I work with heterosexual couples, it's always about trying to figure out what do they need as a person and as a couple and not holding them accountable to their gender, to their sexual orientation, and just living in truth and reality. Because what people need is sometimes outside of that. Maybe they don't want monogamy. Maybe they don't want children. Maybe they don't want to own a home. Um, there's so many different things that they can push back on. And, and as a result of that, I think that that's really, really, really stunning is for people to kind of create the own script and, the own, and their own path. Um, ideas like solo parenting is really radical in some circles where a solo man or solo woman's like, I don't need a partner to have a child or having a partner with a best friend. I know gay couples where one's straight, one's lesbian and have a child. I know some straight women who have a child with a, a gay friend. All those things are beautiful because again, children need caregivers. That's it. doesn't matter their gender. doesn't matter if they're married. They just need caregivers and a happy home environment and all their needs met, period. And that can come in many different forms. And so the whole purpose of this is just to say, there's no right way and really ask yourself, where did these ideas come from that you've internalized about what you need to be doing to be successful or a man or a woman or a straight person? It very much limits our sexuality, what parts of our body will allow to be engaged, what we'll do when we think sex starts, when we think it ends, very much kind of holds us back from the reality of who we are. So we're always talking about these different things, but coming up next, we're going to talk about the importance of uh, pronouns, what they mean, how to use them, especially the they, them pronoun, which a lot more of that coming, y'all. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. Alrighty, ready. We're back and we're talking about pronouns, especially they, them pronouns. You're going to see more of this because a lot of people are realizing, ah, he, she, limiting, you know, the younger generations, they have more fluidity in terms of gender and sexuality, which we're going to continue to see more of because people now have support. They can build community. I shared a big study that I was a part of, uh, gosh, what was it? Four or five years ago and uh, a <clears throat> huge population size, a couple thousand, uh, I think it was like five, four or 5,000 people. And it was uh, the younger generations and 56% of them did not identify as straight. Doesn't mean they identified as gay. They identified as not sure, heteroflexible, fluid, um, non-identified. I love that. That's more honest. People are really, really challenging and exploring and pushing themselves outside. And I love the expansion of all these different labels for gender and orientation. I always tell people with labels, hold them lightly because they come with limits and expectations and stereotypes. But it's a good way for, again, people to have a sense of self and to find community and to just to normalize who they are. So I love it. It brings a lot of visibility in the dictionary. Now has they and them in there for singular use because some people that don't identify with gender, they're non-binary or fluid, um, they'll use they and them pronouns, which I personally think is great because I've said before, I don't mind being called he and him, but when someone tries to call me a man, it feels so loaded. It feels like you're about to put limits on me or expectations or you're going to stereotype me and I don't like that. So I like he and him and I like they and them as well. I love that. At some point, I'll probably go full they and them saying, please don't put any gendered norms or expectations on me. Let me just be myself. Let me live my life. And if you want to find out about it, you watch, you join it. You don't get a label from the outside to kind of make sense of it. So again, they and them is now used as a singular pronoun. 
individuals identify that way. And you'll see that in some people's profiles or in their emails. Kamala Harris put she and her in her Twitter profile. And that's like a really beautiful way to start to normalize the idea that you have to ask people what their pronouns are. That's a very polite thing to do. What pronouns do you prefer or use? And you can't tell by looking at someone anymore. Just because they dress, aka present, in a male normative or female normative way doesn't mean that those matching pronouns are what's comfortable for them. And again, it's about care and compassion, letting people move through the world and uh, respecting how they prefer to be seen and um, engaged. And I think that that's really stunning. So again, they, them uses a singular way. We often already use it. So we're very familiar with it in a more of a plural sense, but now we just have to use it in a singular sense. And the fact that the definition is now built into the dictionary is such a normalizing thing because traditionally the dictionary is the final say for whether or not a word exists, how you spell it, and also what its meaning is. And we're seeing even more of that in politics. Transgender representation has nearly doubled in state legislatures. So uh, candidates that run the ballot, uh, so first off right now, voters in six states, six states, handed eight transgender individuals, non-binary, trans, and gender non-conforming candidates victories in state legislatures this week, eight people. Uh, they're on the ballot in at least 13 state House and Senate elections. So I love that. Your state, whether you know it or not, might have elected in someone who's more gender creative or gender fluid than just male or female, aka the binary. So get familiar and, norm and, and used to that. And uh, it's a great conversation to start having with your child because it's possible that your child might identify differently, especially when they get to school and they're um, given the opportunity to engage and encounter all the multiplicity of gender expression, all the different ways that people move through the world. And if you have an understanding and a confidence in what's possible in some of the languaging, you can really be a supportive home base for your child. Because, you know, part of mental health is acceptance and inclusion in all the spaces that someone lives in, and home is a really important one. So anyone that has a child or wants to be pregnant, this is part of the possible journey you'll be going down. So be ready for that. And if you're not, maybe put a pause on having a child until you've done the work to be confident in being able to raise the child based on who they are. Because raising a child is about supporting their authentic development, not about what you want or what you need or what you're comfortable with. It's not about you. Parenting is one of the most selfless things. You, you totally give your time, energy, and labor to this other being. And if you're not willing to meet its needs, it's called conditional love. If you're going to love conditionally saying, I'll only love my child if they're straight and cis, well then that's actually not love. It's love with conditions, love with conditions that are rooted in your anxiety and your level of development. You need to develop beyond them. You need to be there for them in all the different ways that they might move through the world. So really sit and ask yourself that. Am I prepared for what the journey could look like? Because you don't know a child's gender until they tell you. You can say it's a boy or it's a girl, but uh, that child will let you know themselves as they age, both how they want to present clothing-wise, uh, gender expression, and also labeled terms. So we got to be open for that. All right, y'all, coming up next, we're going to do some DMs. Question of the Night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG page in the story so weigh in on that you're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com all right we're back uh good news y'all New York City they are launching a pilot program 
where they're going to use mental health responders in place of police. This is great for the individuals themselves that are needing help as well as the police. The police don't have the correct training to be dealing with mental health issues. It's also not their job. And so part of the whole defund the police movement isn't to remove all the funding for police. It's to redistribute some of that money and resources to better places of interest, such as having mental health responders go out to deal with mental health issues, people that are struggling with um, homelessness and, and, and are impoverished or exploited. They're better able to link the resources and have the skill sets to manage those situations. And so that's great. That's, that's a better use of money, funding, time, and attention within our culture. So New York City is going to test out a program where dispatchers send out emergency medical services and mental health crisis workers instead of police when they get a mental health-related call, making it the latest city to attempt a pivot away from policing as a cure-all. And that's what we had traditionally done with the police force. Brought them into everything, regardless of what was going on. Oh, someone's being too loud, call the police. Someone's sleeping outside my home and is homeless, call the police. Someone's loitering, police. Someone's having a mental health issue, police. You know what I mean? And it's like those poor police officers, that's not what they're trained or supposed to be doing. And they don't have that skill set, nor are they supposed to, right? It's like when people say things like doctors need to know more about nutrition. No, that's why we have nutritionists. I don't want doctors weighing in on psychology. I want psychiatrists prescribing meds and psychologists and therapists doing therapy. There is a reason why we have specializations in training. Absolutely. I don't prescribe meds and I don't want med prescribers trying to do therapy and weighing in on psychology. You know what I mean? And so this is a beautiful use of that. So we'll see what happens. I think it was um, Portland that had also launched something like that. Not shocking. But L.A., Denver, and San Francisco are also going to be kicking off pilot programs to utilize health professionals for mental health related calls. That's good news, y'all. That is the best way to make use of funding. Bam, I'm so happy when I see positive changes like that. <laughs> okay, it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex of world. We want you to do it safely. Okay, hey Dr. Chris, I keep hearing about a liquid vibrator. What is it and is it good? Bam, so there are a multitude different kinds of sex toys and sex products out there. We've talked about this a little bit. I never recommend anything because it's really a personal journey. It really depends on what you're looking for, what kind of body you have. Uh, also means because sex toys can be expensive and some of them should be because it's not regulated by the FDA and you're putting these products in you and on you. They're absorbed by your skin. They can have micro breaks in them and have bacteria in there. So that's why we say don't use home object, home, don't use random home objects or fruits or vegetables or whatnot as sex toys. They can create small abrasions and tears internally and also can have bacteria on them. So use sex toys, but you have to decide for yourself, where do you want this to be used on? Do you want it to be something that's penetrative, something that's just outside, something that vibrates, something that doesn't? Materials matter, some people have allergies and sensitivities. What kind of lube do you use with each toy? So you need to go online and do the research yourself. I don't recommend products outright because there's no such thing as one thing works for everyone. You have to look at, again, needs and price point. But we have these websites that have really well curated and trained people posting, explaining. Try a couple things out. I really usually say to people, go with what draws your attention. If something looks fun or interesting, put the time, money, and effort in. Get it at home. See how it goes. Bam, 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 bam. It's about fun. You know what I mean? And I think there's something really exciting about sex toys because it's a way to just add some newness and novelty because it creates sensations and experiences that we can't do ourselves with our bodies. But 
it also helps add another layer on top of whatever your partner might be doing. I love people doubling up and tripling up. So don't be afraid of asking your partner to use one or bringing one in, use it with yourself. I want people in healthy, confident relationships where no one's threatened by the thing like a sex toy. It's also a really great gift because not everyone's willing to spend it, spend that kind of money or time on themselves. So yeah, good stuff. You know what I mean? I'm into it. Good holiday gifts. Holidays are coming. All right, coming up next, we're going to be talking about a project I did for Veterans Day and some thoughts about that and also ways to really create the best kind of mental health day because it really does matter what you do in that time. It's not enough to just say mental health day and then you just kind of wing it. There's really some important things you want to kind of build in and consider. So we'll be talking about that. And as always, question of the night is up on our Loveline IG page. So weigh in on that. You are listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back, and I wanted to just kind of throw us back to last week. Um, last week was Veterans Day, and I got to be a part of Vanderpump Dogs. They have a uh, veterans program where they help veterans get connected with rescued service dogs, and I think it's a really great program. And so it's not so much that I want to give a heads up to the program, though. If you go to VanderpumpDogs.org, you can help donate and help, again, rescued service dogs get paired with veterans to help them with their PTSD and other mental health issues. Really great cause. Um, but I wanted to talk about that for a second. So individuals that have participated in war and extreme acts of violence, whether they participated as a... Um, uh, a spectator or they engage in the violence themselves, veterans are really susceptible as a result of that for a lot of mental health issues, including PTSD. Now, what we know is the mental health issues can be anxiety, stress, depression, and PTSD, along with some of those mental health issues, can very much lead to issues with sleep, sleep disorders, uh, falling asleep, staying asleep, nightmares, uh, mood issues such as depression and anxiety, generalized or otherwise, also substance abuse issues, uh, misuse or abuse of drugs and alcohol as a way to cope with the anxiety and the depression or flashbacks, and also a lot of isolation. And it all kind of feeds into itself. The isolation is a result of the mental health issues and the PTSD at times, where they struggle to connect with others, others struggle to connect with them. That leads to isolation. <laughs> that isolation circles back and leads to the mental health issues as a result of the isolation. It just feeds into itself. It's so interesting how mental health works like that. So what we know, though, is that the presence of a pet like a dog can very much help reduce that. It reduces stress. It can reduce anxiety, help drop their blood pressure, increase immune functioning. But more importantly, it reduces the isolation, both because they have a companion, but also that pet helps bring them out into the world because they have to walk the dog. Having that dog out in the world walking, it can lead to conversations being started, building community with other dog owners, connecting with people while they're out walking their dog, like I said. And that can really help them start to feel safer or willing to participate in the world, letting them tap into a new set of skills. And again, that can help them return maybe to career or family or romance because Stepping outside of all that can lead to mental health issues and mental health issues can lead to being forced outside of that. So think about that for yourself, for loved ones, for any mental health issues, any PTSD, but especially for people like veterans, owning a pet is life-saving. It can very much help their mental health. And so that's something we can all think about. And we talked about that really early on in the pandemic, 
how having a pet can be someone to keep you company, someone to get you out of the house, because we still know, even though we're in a pandemic, right, you should be still going outside, getting fresh air, sunlight, seeing other people moving around, but just stay away from crowds, stay outdoors, right? Wear your mask, stay socially distanced. But um, a pet can be a really great thing to add to your life, especially for people that are home all day. Just make sure that if, if you're going to be someone who's going to return to work, and leave the home that you're able to provide care for your pet by either taking your pet with you or paying for someone to come and walk and spend time with your pet or maybe a loved one or friend or neighbor that's willing to do that. But you don't want to get a pet because you're home now and then at some point have the pet at home by themselves all the time because that's not really very fair or kind to the pet. So make sure it's something that you can really wholeheartedly sign up for, you know, over the long term. But I just want to always be talking about alternative solutions. You know, we're looking more at psychedelics, uh, psilocybin, the use of ketamine, uh, cannabis for mental health and anxiety and depression. And we want to be talking about the use of pet as well. Um, you know, we, we talk about pet therapy, but just pet ownership can be really powerful and helpful for many people. So we want to make sure we're always acknowledging that and talking about that. And, tr you know, use a rescue. We don't want to use a puppy mill. Those are animals that are not taken care of and they're abused. So please do a rescue. Animals need homes, a lot of them. Otherwise, they're they're euthanized. They're, they're, they're killed. <laughs> I mean, that's just basically what it is. So make sure that you're present enough to be having a pet and also that you can financially support one because you have to be able to buy them food, toys, uh, and they also require medical care, you know? It's another form of life, but there's something really powerful in having the responsibility for someone else, something that's less that has needs and the less powerful than you. And we see that even with prisons where people that are incarcerated, they're given the ability to take care of animals as well. There's been uh, pilot programs where they were using cats and kittens and it really helped people develop empathy, caretaking skills. Um, and also people in the carceral system still deserve love, care, and attention. And the pet was able to give them that, remind them that they have worth. It's reflected back. They're taking care of the pet, but the pet's reminding them you're worthy of love. You're worthy of feeling safe and cared for. And it kind of becomes reciprocal. So it's really good. It's important. So think about that. We don't necessarily have to feel isolated. And with the holidays coming up, maybe now's the time to contact a rescue and get a pet. Um, good stuff. My pet has been something that's really been good for me mental health wise, socially, and just puts joy on my in my life. It's just a little bundle of joy brought in. You know, makes me happy. There's movement and energy in the room and I don't feel as alone. So good stuff. Question of the night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG page. So weigh in on that. You are listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, y'all, we're back and we're going to talk about taking a mental health day. For some of us, <laughs> we're able to make you know, mental health moments throughout our day, which is really the goal, you know, we're going to be talking about the more extreme version where you don't have the ability to build it into your normal day. And so you just take certain days off. But I want to remind you, every single day, you should be centering and prioritizing your mental health, truly. And I know that there's some privilege in that, but you have to find the ways to build it in. We should be every single day, as we talk about all the time, building in self-care, some joy, pleasure, and rest, taking naps, taking downtime in the middle of your workday. Go outside and sit on a bench for a while, just taking the fresh air, set a timer, or just go for a walk outdoors, take an extended bathroom break, go into the break room, whatever you do, take breaks throughout the day. Also find some joy and pleasure. And that can also be done in the middle of your workday. There's so many different ways to do that. Just make sure you're building it in every day. Now, for some people, though, they need more than that. I do. I'm one of those people where I tend to work very hard. I have a lot of careers always going at one time, and I need to build in days where I have nothing I have to do or I force myself to do nothing. 
So we're going to talk about what are the important pieces of that or how do we really carve that out? And again, we can build that into our time at home right now during COVID, or maybe this is something you do while back at the office. So again, knowing that some people's lives are very hectic and now more than ever, because we work so hard and so long, because we still have this definition of adulthood or success being tied to how hard you're working, which is very much backwards. I want to get to a time where we're prioritizing our mental health and joy and pleasure and meaning in our lives. And that is actually deemed as successful. Um, but again, there's a lot of boundaries that are really blurred between home and life, um, home and work, work and life. And we let work and career and all that really get it to show up and get in the way of our home life. And we need to set that boundary where we don't want to make it okay anymore to miss important events in our loved one's lives because of work. I want that to no longer be acceptable. And in my book, uh, Rebel Love, I talk about that. Relationships before capitalism. And there's a whole chapter on that. So read that. And that really talks about how to reprioritize our priorities and that our family and our relationships have to be the number one thing in our lives, not work. Um, but taking mental health days, for those that need to see a work outcome, it actually impacts beneficially your career and your work time. I don't want that to be the driving reason. I want us to get rid of words like laziness because what you're really saying is rest and downtime and pleasure. And that has worth just in and of itself. But yes, it does have a positive income. I'm sorry, a positive outcome on our productivity. So how do we re really build that in? Well, the first thing you want to make sure you do is take time away from those social media apps because that is not part of your mental health day just sitting there swiping around. That is gonna be overloading and triggering our mental health and our nervous system. And we're trying to rest. We're trying to take a break away from focus and attention and also news and politics and all those things. So what you might wanna do is some people temporarily delete your social media apps. Take them off your phone just for the day. Whatever it is for that mental health day, remove them. It's temporary, but we need time away. Also, some people need to take more than one mental health day off. Sometimes I've taken two or three, you have to really ask yourself, how many days in a row do I need? Because the first day off, sometimes it takes more than a day to really shake off and to soothe and to settle into nothingness. We might still be thinking about, or our nervous system still might be trapped in and our, and our psyche, all the things we have to do or need to do. And so sometimes you need more than one day and that's okay. Be where you are. It doesn't matter what everyone else is doing or what everyone else is, what everyone else is needing. You need what you need. I need extended periods of time because I ruminate. I definitely have an anxiety disorder. And so for me, when I take time off for vacations, I go a few extra days longer than most people. I have to, that's for my mental health. I can do nothing else if I don't have my mental health. All of my careers, all of my jobs require me to have mental health. <laughs> and so I'm not actually fully engaging or prioritizing a career if I'm not looking out for myself. I am my instrument and my tool, but that's how all of us are, right? So maybe it needs to be more than one or two days off. Also, set a timer for just general phone use. I turn my phone off and stick it in a drawer every day for extended hours because I don't wanna to be tied to my phone. Just because someone has the ability to email me, text me, or call me, doesn't mean they have a right to access me. Doesn't mean I need to know what they want. And my mental health comes first, and so it's on a delay. I'll get back to people when I'm ready to get back to people. And so take time away from your phone, even if it's just setting a timer for 20 or 30 minutes, or turning it off for an hour, or coming home at, after work at five, six, or seven and saying, I'm done for the night. I'm putting my phone in the drawer, I'm done for the night. Using an old school alarm clock and saying, I'll check my phone again in the morning. 
unless you're on call, unless you're a crisis worker, you don't need to be reached at all hours. There was a time when you could only get us via the telephone and people would take the phone off the hook, especially at nighttime when they're sleeping. Or if someone's on the phone, you had to keep trying to get a hold of them. Maybe they didn't even answer the phone, turn the ringer off. It was a really beautiful thing. We can go back to that. Also take uh, nature. Like take, take a stock of how, how long it's been since you've been out in the world and you don't need to go to a park, although that's stunning. Just find some time in nature as part of that mental health day, go for a walk, go for a drive, drive to a park, whatever you need to do, but just get outside. It doesn't always have to be inside on the couch, right? There's something really healing about nature, eco psychology. There's something very grounding and nourishing about time in nature, sun, the air, the earth, taking off your shoes, putting your bare feet in the sand, in the dirt, in the earth. For many of us, we go long periods of time without our bare feet, our bare skin actually touching earth. It's always in shoes on fake surfaces on hard top, really stunning, really grounding. Also moving things around in your current space, maybe moving your desk near a window or your bed near a window, maybe opening the window, letting light in, bringing more plants in. It really changes the environment. It's really soothing. It's good for us, right? Really important stuff. That was massive for me, letting more light in, moving my desk, moving my bed and just filling my pace, my place with plants. And then finally, just reaching out to people, you know, letting people the right people infiltrate your time. Maybe getting on the phone with them for longer periods of time. Normally it's very quick text messages, but this time you call or FaceTime and just sit there comfortably for 20 minutes, a few hours, and just truly connect. And that's part of the mental health day, just saying, what do I really need, time with or time away and honoring that. Um, all right, coming up next is question of the night. So as always, it's up on our Loveline IG page in the stories, and then we'll be closing out the show with some DMs. If you've got a DM for me, doctors in, slide those into the DMs on our Loveline IG page. You are listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. You know, I was posting about this on my social media. There's a stunning documentary on HBO Max or HBO as well called Transhood. So it's a play on the word childhood, trans children in their childhood, transhood. It's stunning, heartbreaking as well, because you really get to see transphobia and bigotry and the problematic relationship that religion has within there. But the profound center point of it all is just watching these courageous individuals and families living their best lives, trying to support each other. And it's really stunning. Um, I really advise everyone to sit down and watch it because you will know if you have don't already someone who's trans or gender fluid or gender queer, because that's what's happening in the younger generations. They have more confidence and more options. And I'm glad that they're taking advantage of that. There's no reason for everyone to have to force themselves in a psychologically abusive way into a gender performance, which means how they look, what they wear and how they act. Uh, just because that's what's most comfortable for the rest of the world. Like that's not mental health, right? Mental health is living in a liberated, authentic way as to who you are. It's traumatic to have to live in a way that's not who you are and how you are because it makes everyone else comfortable. Uh, your job as a person in the world isn't to make people comfortable, especially not as a child. As a child, your job is to make your parents happy and comfortable. It's the job of the parents to support and create a safe space for the child to be who they are. Please know that that is what parenting is. So I hear parents saying things like, why do you do that to me? Or I don't like, shut up. It's not about you. So Transhood is a really stunning film that really shows what love looks like, where they're saying, this is who my child is. And we're on that journey, wherever it takes us, even if it loops around and upside down and flips. Also a groundbreaking documentary narrated by Olivia Coleman, I'm not familiar with her, explores how all children have a fluid sense of gender and that's called Becoming You. And that's a new Apple TV documentary series. Um, 
Yeah, I like the idea. All children do have the possibility of being gender fluid because children aren't aware and don't care about gender roles. Children aren't aware and don't care about toxic masculinity and homophobia. They just are naturally drawn to what they're drawn to. And if we can create a safe space and just let them wear what they want to wear, play with what they want to play with, children are naturally fluid. They don't understand these made-up categories of, you have a vagina, that means you're a girl, that means you need to wear pink and grow your hair long. Like, that's made up. That's not real. That's actually socialization. Let children just be where they are and who they are. That's, that's mental health. So I think all families should sit down and watch these parents to have a sense of what's possible for the children because you don't get to decide. Also have a watch with your children so that they have confidence and familiarity because they might be encountering that out in the world, which you hear the story of this one child who's trans and um, gets called out online. And, and this young individual, he's, his friends find out that he's trans and it's really heartbreaking because he wasn't ready to come out himself, but he was forced out. All right, y'all, now it's time for question of the night. Tonight's question of the night was, according to Inside Hook, virtual flirting and cheating are at an all-time high. Of course, everyone's at home, they're bored, they're lonely, they're on their phones. Are you worried about your partner cheating on you? That's the question of the night. Are you worried about your partner cheating on you? 32% said yes. 68% said no. Good, because if you're in a trusting relationship, we're good. If you put yes, that you are worried about your partner cheating on you, what is it that you're most worried about? I love that question. What are you most worried about in that? First person said, I'm single, but I can understand how easy digital cheating might be for someone. Every time they go in the bathroom, they have private alone time. That's right. But if you have love, care, empathy, and you're committed, and you're in a monogamous relationship, you don't do anything with it. You know what I mean? Just because we have an impulse to do something doesn't mean we do it. We always consider the impact on others. Someone else said, I think that virtual cheating is emotional cheating and that sometimes that's worse than physical cheating. Yes, as long as you're not misapplying that term. I hear people call really deep, close, intimate relationships between friends emotional cheating. It's like, that's what friends have. Deep, intimate relationships. They discuss themselves and each other to their depths. Like we have to be very cautious about that word. I think you really mean, I don't like using the word cheating. I think you mean emotional cheating. I think you mean romantic or flirtation. Like let's just use the exact words. Question tonight is uh, if you're worried about your partner cheating right now, what are you most worried about? Someone said, I'm guilty of virtual cheating, but I'd never continue that in person. It's just something to do when I'm bored. But I mean, I guess the question is, are you cheating, meaning acting outside of your commitment and looking to build a relationship with someone? Are you cheating because it's just harmless, random flirting? You don't know the person, they don't know you. Is that something that's understandable in your relationship? If you want to do that, talk to your partner about it. Hey, babe, we never really defined our boundaries of monogamy, <clears throat> which FYI, most couples don't. I'll say to them in my office, so you're monogamous, what does that mean? Have you talked about what that includes and ex excludes? And most haven't. But ask your partner, is it cool if I'm bored one day, if I'm just randomly chatting with random people? I mean, like, dear God, like, why not? I think that that could be accessible and relatable in some relationships. Like, sure, just don't do any further. Don't exchange names. I don't know. Y'all decide. But talk about it. Don't just say, I just do it. It's cool. I don't let my partner know. Tell them. I don't want people being in relationships where they're afraid to be who they are and ask for what they want. But again, ethical relationships are about being open with your partner about what you can um, hold yourself accountable to and what you're not open to holding yourself accountable to. So if that's what you want to do, at least own it. It's usually the betrayal, the lying that's most uh, detrimental to a relationship. Someone else said, um, I caught my partner DMing like four other girls and one of them, she made plans to meet up in person. So I had to break up with her. Yeah, that's just crappy. You know, if you're going to cheat, that's just the worst thing to do on top of just talk about the fact that the boundaries you currently hold with your partner aren't working for you. Own it. Someone else said, and I'll end on this one. I can never be with someone who wouldn't be open about their social media with me, period. I agree. I wouldn't either. Like I'm in a relationship. 
And if I was told like, hey, I was spent the weekend flirting, I'd be like, well, thank you for telling me. Let's talk about that. Is that something you want to be able to do more of? Let's talk about what that means for me. Because honestly, I don't care about things like that. I'm not threatened by that. But, you know, we all got to be where we are. All right. Thank you to those that uh, cooperate and participate. Question of the night for tomorrow is up on our Loveline IG page in the story. So weigh in on that. And coming up next, we're going to be sliding back into those DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, y'all, we're back, and now it's time to slide back into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world, and we want you to explore it. This question says, hey, Dr. Chris, my name is Lori. I've noticed some toxic behavior from my boyfriend that I'd like your opinion on. I haven't said anything to him yet, so we've been together for about a year, moved in together around March of this year. Man, interesting timing, right? Did you know COVID was coming? Because a relationship moving in together is a lot different. We can actually leave the house. You know what I mean? <laughs> At the beginning of the pandemic, we were both drinking more. Oh, there we go. Which almost all the world did, so I didn't think anything about it. Yeah, I know. Exactly. That's why I keep trying to bring it up. It's very normalized. I'm talking to a lot of people. They're like, I was high all day. Started making a martini at 10 a.m. I'm like, well... There's a place for that, <laughs> but when it's every day, like, how you feeling? How's your mental health? Do you, are you okay with the behaviors you're engaging in while doing that? What's it going to be like when all of a sudden you got to stop? Yeah, you got to think about that stuff. Um, God bless it. <laughs> Around August, I decided that we should that maybe we should stop drinking as much as we did. We were drinking anywhere from like 12 beers to two wine bottles a night. Yep, that's real. I've been there. When I was like that, I just felt gross every day. I woke up every day feeling horrible. I wasn't accomplishing any of the things I wanted to accomplish. It was getting very sloppy and we were getting dependent upon that to be able to just really make fun use of our time. It's such a crutch. Um, I've stopped or will have one glass. He continues to drink excessively. But remember, you helped create that system. And just because you chose on that random day to stop doesn't mean that he wants to or is ready. And we can't say, well, I stopped today, so I need you to stop today. It's like, well, we have these things called the stages of change. And it's about someone's readiness. And you uh, were ready for action and took action. He's not in the action stage. You know, we have to let people be where they are. Yeah. Um, he tells me it makes him feel better. I'm sure it does. But I'm worried that this won't stop even if the pandemic ends. It's possible. He's beginning. But see, this is why we have to be very thoughtful about what we bring into a relationship. We can't normalize and bring things in. And then when we change our mind about it, demand that everyone else stops. You know what I mean? Um, he's beginning to be mean when he's drunk. Ah, see, there it is. So I'll just go to bed before he gets to that level. Nah, that's not good. That The minute violence or aggression shows up, that's when we do set that hard line. Drinking is not a privilege. I'm sorry, drinking is a privilege, not a right. You have the, you have the wait a second, how's it go? You, you're allowed to drink. <laughs> you're allowed to drink. But if you're drinking leads to problematic behavior, then yes, you are responsible for limiting or stopping it, period. It doesn't make it okay. Yeah, healthy drinking is to only drink when we're not creating negative consequences, 100%. Sometimes he makes it to bed, sometimes he just stays on the couch. What can I do? <clears throat> well, you don't have a right to demand he doesn't drink. You do have a right to say you cannot engage in certain behaviors like as the way you're talking or treating me. And if that's a result of your drinking, well then yes, by default you need to stop drinking, but you need to lean on the behavior. At night, while drunk, you get mean and that's not okay. And if you can't stop doing that while drunk, then you need to stop drinking. And if you're not willing to stop drinking because it leads to you doing things that aren't okay, then you need to go. And that's the hard line you draw, and that's the way you say it. So I'll repeat it again. I have to say it is unacceptable for you to engage in an aggressive, violent, or mean behavior or words with me. That often happens because you've drank in. 
So you need to stop drinking because those behaviors are unacceptable. And if you can't stop them without drinking, the drinking needs to go. If you are unwilling to stop drinking or engaging in those behaviors while drunk, then you need to go. Period. End of story. Hard line. Because your mental health matters. And it matters more than his negative outcomes of his drinking. So, oh, folks, this quarantine, this COVID, I know. Let's make it have a neutral to beneficial impact on us and on those around us. Not bad, you know? All right, y'all, that's our show. We Are Channel Q is where you go if you want to check out past episodes of Loveline. Also, I'm listening live, my live stream show, on all the radio.com handles. That's YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. And that's every Thursday night, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. It live streams, well, it streams live. And uh, that's always experts, celebrities talking about COVID, mental health, self-care, really important things that are specific to what we're going through right now because ooh, new stuff is emerging. It's a special, special time and not sure when it's going to let up. Uh, as always, y'all, thanks for hanging out with me and you all have a beautiful, beautiful rest of your night.